It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. From Labradoodles to Cronuts, the world loves a hybrid. So today, businesses are taking a smarter hybrid cloud approach using the tools, platform, and expertise of IBM. The world is going hybrid with IBM. Visit ibm.com slash hybrid cloud. Who they think you're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Hope you're having a great weekend. If you live where I live in Canada, you have tomorrow off, so I'm excited for that. If you go back to work, well, we're here to talk to you about the Bengals for your Monday. This episode, however, is brought to you by three different sponsors that you might hear ads for throughout the show this week. The first one we'll talk about is Hotels.com. Go check it out. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own hotels with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. We're also brought to you today by Untuck It. Dads come in all shapes and sizes and so should their shirts. Like tall, short, slim, and relaxed. Ever wonder why your dad's button-ups look so long and baggy at the end of the day? It can be hard for guys to pull off a casual untucked look that isn't sloppy. That's where Untuck It comes in. Untuck It is a solution that fits just right, specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com and use promo code MBA to get 20% off. And Father's Day is coming up, right, Joe, in about a month? Yeah, it's uh, usually middle of uh, June, right? Well, make sure you tell your wife to get you some Untuck It shirts. The last sponsor for today's episode is Grip6 Belts. Grip6 Belts has a goal to literally make the best belt ever made. It's an easy, thoughtful gift for dads, brothers, husbands, uncles, grandpas, and even moms and wives because they have a women's collection. Ultra lightweight with no holes, no flap. And with a low profile with the buckle laying flat against the waist, the belt is super comfortable. It's in fact the only belt with no holes, no flap, and no bulk. Grip6 has a special offer for you at grip6.com slash lock. That's grip6.com slash L-O-C-K-E. And Jake, this is actually the one I went to because I was familiar with the other two, but I didn't know what Grip6 was. And so if you're getting me a Father's Day gift, I definitely like these belts. They're right up my alley. Uh, just a design. And, and then, you know, describing it flat, no 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 holes, no no flaps. I'm like, all right, what does that look like? So it looks like a belt. You'll, you'll go see it, but they're pretty cool. Hint, hint for our followers, Joe's a dad. Send him belts. Is that work that way? Can you get other dad stuff for Father's Day? I don't know. We could try. I don't know. <laughs> you, you doing anything fun this weekend, Jake? Uh, let's see. It's really nice here. How nice. Tell me about this island you live on. How nice. I live on a, a temperate rainforest paradise. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm going to go swimming today. Oh, great. 
I got sunburned today. First warm, real hot day. About 82 degrees in Buffalo, New York. So for us, that's a that's sweltering a desert. Oh, man, it's crazy. We just went straight from winter to summer, yeah. as usual. Yeah, last week we had a day that was probably in the 50s. Today it's going to be 70. It's going to be great. Yeah. Oh, well, let's talk about the Bengals, I guess. It's May. We're talking about football. OTAs start on Monday, so at least something will be happening this week that might produce some news for us to talk about. Uh, Jeff Hobson put up a roster breakdown piece on Bengals.com that gave us a little bit of insight on some injuries, at least. And, of course, reminded us that there's not much. There is one person in who will be competition for Randy Bullock, Joe. Who's that? Tristan Vizcaino. That doesn't sound like real competition to me, Jake. Well, he was a restricted free agent or something like that. Okay. <laughs> he kicked with he kicked with Washington in 2017. So, I wish they uh, would have run in real competition for Bullock, but it doesn't seem like even when they mm-hmm. did, right? Jake Elliott is what I think of. Um, even though I would have liked to have seen Brown actually get some more kicks, it seemed like he had a, a strong leg last year. So. I don't know. Maybe maybe it'd been a waste of a roster spot. Anyways, I think there are some, definitely some key things I'm looking for tomorrow. Though I want to see who's the other third linebacker who starts. Where do they put all these offensive linemen? Because who's out? Clint Bowling and Alex Redman are hurt. Probably won't be back until camp. So who do they put at left guard? Who do they put at right guard? I'm I'm thinking it's John Miller. That's why they signed him at right guard. But I think things can get weird at, for the for Jonah Williams and Cordy Glenn there on the left side. In the uh... Pictures that came out from the pre-draft OTAs, it was Westerman at left guard. I would like that. I believe it was Westerman at left guard, and the rest of the guys were kind of as expected. From what I could tell, it was it wasn't a clear shot, but it looked like it was Westerman with the number ones. And of course, we knew. I think we mentioned on the podcast at the time that Clint Bowling wasn't a participant then, but he was there. It sounds like he's just hurt. And also, yeah. we've talked about uh, Darquez Denard has been hurt. So is Darius Phillips. Both Darius those guys. Phillips they, is hurt. Yeah, said uh, training camp for both those those guys, which we should see um, B.W. Webb and Devontae Harrison, right, as the third and fourth? I suppose so, yeah. Right, with, with Brown, their seventh-round pick, getting some, some snaps in there, I guess, somewhere. That might be good for Brown, though, get him some extra reps. Sure, because he'll probably be buried otherwise. He's he's uh, destined for the practice squad, I would say. You would think so. It'll right. be interesting, like you said, along the offensive line. Jeff Hobson thinks that they might move Glenn to left guard to let Williams play left tackle. I don't know what that means for Christian Westerman. And, of course, that means that it's likely Bobby Hart at right tackle. And I wonder if this coaching staff would even give Trey Hopkins a chance at tackle. He has played tackle before. That he's listed as a guard center. I think he's now pretty much seen exclusively as an interior lineman. Right. But it would probably be worth letting anybody who could compete with Bobby Hart compete with Bobby Hart if for no other reason than to push him. And it doesn't look like there's really anybody to do that on the roster unless it's, I don't know, Kent Perkins or unless they actually move uh, Glenn. Glenn to right right tackle and it does indicate as well in this article that Taylor says they will be trying different combinations throughout uh, throughout the spring and summer but it he sounds also like said, they really want to get Williams to left tackle yeah he also said previous to this that don't expect it to go deep into camp they'll figure this out very quickly and early who their five best five are and what the combination is which also makes me nervous I think this whole idea that 
bowling's going to be out until camp um, scares me because if they do move Cordy Glenn to left guard and it's just, okay, Bobby Hart, we signed you. You're our right tackle. The way we thought originally, right? And we thought, well, they're not going to take a tackle. They're paying their two tackles money. Well, I guess if you move Cordy Glenn to left guard and you start Jonah Williams at left tackle, Bobby Hart goes unchecked at right tackle. That's how the Bengals continue to have an issue on the offensive line. I mean, we can dream up scenarios where they get their actual five best out there, and we feel pretty good about those five. I don't feel that way if Bobby Hart gets an unchecked ride to starting at right tackle. It's it's really bizarre that they would go into the season without challenging him at all. I mean, I know he was available last year, and I know people are sick of listening to us talk about Bobby Hart, but I think everyone expected that there would at least be competition. Right. And right now the competition for tackle, if Cordy Glenn is your left guard, is O'Shea Dugas, Keaton Sutherland, and and like I said, Kent Perkins, a bunch of unrestricted free or a bunch of college free agents. So it's not happening. It's and very unlikely. You look at national guys too, because some of them are putting out depth charts or what or expectations for the team. And it's oh just slide Jonah Williams to right tackle for a year, you know, and I think a lot of teams would probably just do that. He's got right tackle experience. He's played right tackle just as much as left in college. So um yeah, that would seem like the right idea. Now, if you say, well, m- might as well get Jonah to left now because that's where he's going to play in his career. So just do it now. Take your lumps now and, and move on. Uh, then fine. Then move. If you're going to move Cordy Glenn to left guard, since you're moving him anyways, he's played his entire NFL career at left tackle. Uh, might as well move him to right tackle and more than likely get better play than you are getting out of heart there. But it, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes there. I guess we'll find out as this as this progresses. But as of right now, it's pretty scary. It's it's hard to know. I mean, I guess maybe they think they can clean up all his penalties and then he's, uh, I don't know. Just bad without penalties? Yeah. I don't know. The other thing that uh, I think we talked about before we started recording is the defensive line shuffle, and you've tweeted about this. It's hard to say who will be that other guy at defensive end. It's yeah. going to be Carlos Dunlap for sure. Probably 80% of the time Dunlap will continue. And this will at some point need to stop because he's in his thirties now, but he's going to continue probably to get a bunch of snaps for a defensive lineman more than most in the league. I think Carlos Dunlap's out there. And yeah. then the other tackle spot or end spot will be occupied by Carl Lawson, Sam Hubbard and Jordan Willis. And that's it. Carry, carry win. Sorry. Right. The, those, those guys, and if Jordan Willis doesn't take a step, well, you need Sam Hubbard to take a step for sure because Sam Hubbard is your guy then on on early downs. And Carl Lawson should be healthy, hopefully, you know, by yep. training camp. It, it sounds like Lawson and Glasgow, speaking of injuries, also out until training camp, finishing their ACL rehab. Which should be interesting because uh, if you read Jeff Hobson's piece, he also continues to say that with Glasgow out. And I don't know if this is because of Glasgow out, but he, he mentions Renell Wren, their fourth-round pick at Arizona State. Uh, is in with a couple other guys, Josh Chappelle, you remember he also mentions Christian Ringo, as likely guys to push Andrew Billings for the starting nose tackle job, which to me, I didn't know that that was a job that was up for grabs. I didn't either. I, I think that's pretty crazy, especially when you look at the guys that are going to be pushing him. We thought Billings had a pretty good year last year right? in terms of you know doing the things that he was good at. So I certainly hope that you know, they end up with the best players on the field and that we have a good outcome from these competitions in the early camps because we've seen them misevaluate talent before and now we have a new coaching staff in and this is their first test to see 
if they can put the best guys on the field. Of course, we we don't see what's happening in the practices, so they certainly have better information than we do. But, I mean, NFL teams have made mistakes before, and we've talked about Nate Living's quite sure. a bit. Um, my my uh, concern is uh, because I, I've gotten the impression that before there was often not honest competition through camps and in, in, in the offseason. And a lot of times it would be uh, they, they'd they start the guy they knew they were going to start all along or the, the, the path would be there. They're, oh, we'll get them, you know, just a few snaps or a few reps here. We'll let them start second half of preseason for the first two weeks. Then we'll let them get the starters with the last two weeks. And then he'll be our starter. I mean, I've had somebody tell me this is what's going to happen. And then it exa- happened exactly that way. And then the guy was named starter week four of the preseason. And I'm like, geez, did that really just happen that way? This is, I mean, this was the plan all along. And so it often felt like fake competition for me for, for, for positions. Now, if this is a sign of real competition, they're going to let Renell Wren push Andrew Billings. Great. That's honestly what I want from the outside. I think it's what you want. And uh, then I'm reminded of potentially just letting Bobby Hart run at right tackle. So I, I stopped myself short there. Yeah, it's weird because you're seeing some competition happening at positions where you feel like okay about the guy at the very least. Right. I feel I feel like pretty good about Billings, if not just okay. But Especially for a nose tackle role. You're not asking him to, to be a guy that's playing 80% yeah. of the snaps. He's playing 35% of the snaps at that. I mean, it's not a huge spot. Maybe we're just reading too much into the semantics that have been used in the article. And sure, sure. It's just, you know, there's going to be competition at some spots, and, you know, he's on a word count and all this stuff. So who knows what's actually going to happen. Hopefully we get a better idea of what's coming out of the camp when we start having some news on Monday, Tuesday this week. That would be nice, and we're going to talk to Kat Terrell, right, of ESPN, so we can ask her what she sees day one. That's right. We'll have Kat Terrell on the podcast on Tuesday night, so that'll be your Tuesday night upload, Wednesday day episode. And yep. tomorrow we will be doing, for those of you who listen to Locked On Reds and are also Reds fans, we're going to be doing a Locked On Cincinnati joint episode with Jeff Carr of Locked On Reds. Yeah. Other things uh, Jeff Hobson also mentioned in terms of injuries, Joe Mixon, don't expect to see him much. Don't expect to see A.J. Green. Uh, and what was the last one? Oh, mentioning of Carl Lawson, I wanted to jump back to that, him being out until camp. He says, look for Sam Hubbard to get the start at right, tack, right end, I'm sorry, or uh, potentially Kerry Wynn. No mention of Jordan Willis, who, to me, I think in year three, we need to see development. We need to see a jump in Jordan Willis's game. It would be nice to see that. He played more snaps than Sam Hubbard last year, two extra games. Uh, but still, it's surprising he played that much, and I can barely remember a play he made. And it's funny because we've just – we're fresh off the heels and in, in my mind still of Will Clark and Marcus Hunt and not getting anything out of those uh, day two defensive end picks. And really right now where they're at with Jordan Willis, I wonder if we're going down that same path. And Jordan Willis can go on to play for the Indianapolis Colts next year and have a Marcus Hunt really like revival to his career. Sure. Why not? And the, the, it's, <laughs> it's funny because I, uh, I saw an old tweet of mine today. Someone sent it to me and, and said, uh, I believe it was right before the draft of that year, and I said, uh, if you liked Marcus Hunt, then you will really like Jordan Willis in this draft, and now I regret it. Never tweet those things. The last Never. cool <laughs> note from Bengals.com, roster reset for Bengals return to practice article, is about an undrafted free agent the Bengals signed. Ventel Bryant came from Temple. I didn't know this about Temple. They give single-digit numbers to their nine toughest players. I like that. And Ventel Bryant were number one. Does that mean he was the number one toughest, or you think they just kind of 
I think he's the toughest player at, at wide receiver for a Philly school. That's how you beat out Cordy Cora, right? Because that, that guy's got to play special teams, hopefully be a blocker, and can do those dirty do the dirty work. If uh, Ventel Bryant's going to make the roster, it's probably going to be that way. Should be interesting. Let's take a break, Joe. Come back. Continue to talk about the Bengals as we get through this May grind and just wait for football to come back. We'll be right back, too. This is Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different. And that's why Carvana invented a brand new way for you to buy a car that's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made the purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door, or you can go and pick it up from one of the coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a seven-day return policy, ensuring that you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check it out, the nation's fastest growing auto retailer at Carvana.com, C-A-R-V-A-N-A.com, Carvana.com. Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Q, host of the Locked On Raiders podcast. And I hope you guys feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? Nah, but seriously, now is the time to get some skin in the game with MyBookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are. We know what they're capable of, and it's not difficult to find some value in the lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code LOCKEDON to get your deposit match halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash EMC. Support for this podcast comes from The First One with DJ Khaled, a new podcast only available on Amazon Music. What's up, y'all? This is DJ Khaled, and this is The First One. We hear from all the A-list music stars like J Balvin, Nas, and Kelly Rowland about songs that didn't change the game, but changed their life. It's almost like sometimes before you even get in the industry, it's like you set up to fail. And there's so many moments where you can win. And the winning is great, but it's so many things that you go through to get to the win. 
and so much more who tell their stories about their first hits that took them to the next level, changed their life, overlooked to being overbooked. When I was recording the song, I already knew it was going to be a global hit. And I'm not joking, my G. I really felt it inside of me. I was like, I just can't wait to see a number one. Join me every Thursday with the first one drops only on Amazon Music. Let's go. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals podcast. We are grinding through this May episode, but I do have a question, and it's something I've thought about lately. And uh, because I see a lot of Bengals fans getting excited for this, and then you see a lot of metrics, and one I, I had a debate about on Twitter just recently, and uh, I'd like to dig more into it too. Uh, but it was this this debate was on the focus of using heavy personnel to run the ball two tight ends and such, you know, bring an extra offensive line, whatever the case may be. But the numbers show that the heavier you go, so instead of uh, three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back, you go with a fullback or a tight end or or even bigger than that, your yards per carry drops, your expected yards per carry drops, which is more key because it's not, um, you know, obviously goal line situations, you're going to go heavy and you only need one yard, you get one yard. That's okay in an expected um, average. So, this brought me to thinking the Bengals offense, Zach Taylor, the way he, he talks a lot about the running game, how they're going to build the running game, looking at the Rams offense, a lot of run play action. Traditionally, and in, in, at least now in the NFL, it's become very apparent, you pass to score points. You pass to win the game. Uh, running the ball gives you a, a lower yards per play, gives you less points per game, which ultimately doesn't do much for you when you go against those teams that we've seen the Bengals recently. You know, when you meet up with the Chiefs or you meet up with the Saints and they just run you out of the building within the first half uh, because you, it's a mar- it's a race. It's a marathon to score as much points as possible. So, Jake, this is my question then. And for Bengals fans, for you, is building this offense around the run game the smart play? Is it how we're going to maximize this team? Here's how it becomes a smart play. It's you build around the run game. But secretly and covertly, you're a passing team. <laughs> I like this. I like how uh, you laid that out. <laughs> uh, so the idea is that you you do put an emphasis on the running game, but you do it almost exclusively to set up the passing game. And a lot of people will tell you, well, you use a pass to set up the run. And you mentioned this earlier with the personnel thing. And I think the most important thing is going to be, does Zach Taylor know how to use personnel to his advantage to use the pass to set up the run and to use the run to set up the pass? And specifically with those two tight end sets and what you pointed out is that those two tight end sets need to be when you throw the ball. And the and the and when you go wide and, you know, you send... Uh, maybe, maybe you keep Tyler Eifert on the field. And this is where it gets interesting. It is does. If, if Tyler Eifert is a wide receiver... And some and, and an opposing team walks a safety or a linebacker over him, and you keep Drew Sample on the field, and you're going to try to run the ball. Then how does that work? Or maybe that's when you try to throw the ball. I don't know. The Bengals hopefully can realize that they have some personnel stuff to play with there, to set up the run from the shotgun, from the spread, and then pass the ball from single tight end sets. And right. did you, do you remember anything from that Rams offense book about where they ran? Because weren't they almost ex- exclusively 11 personnel, meaning yeah, three wide 90%. receivers, one tight end, one running back? Yeah, there were games where it was almost 99.9%. They maybe had one snap and a goal in or, or a fourth and short um, situation where they come out of 11 personnel. But they're a three wide receiver team constantly. Now, they do mix their one tight end up and rotate it with a couple guys, one being a receiver type and one being a blocking type. So they 
they knew what they're doing in terms of getting the, the personnel on the field to maximize it. But, you know, I don't think these, these findings, these numbers are that profound because I think if you go out there with two tight ends, right, so you're in 12 personnel, one being the running back, two being the tight ends, that's how you know it, 11 would be one running back, one tight end. So uh, you're out there in 12 personnel. The defense is going to counter that, so you only got two receivers. The defense is going to counter with a 4-3 or 3-4, whatever their their heavy defense is. They're more apt to stopping the run. So the smart thing to do is would be to play action, to pass, to throw out of that formation, right? You, you get their heavy guys in there, their linebackers in there, and then you attack them. And, and it works the same for running the ball. You watch the Rams offense, they run it out of three wide receivers. Why? Because the defense is in nickel. So now you, you've got six guys in the box. And you've got six blockers, six versus six. That's what you want. You'd like it to be five versus five if you can. That's why there's a lot of spread teams with that'll go um, that'll, that'll have just one running back, four wide receivers, or they'll split, they'll detach that tight end because now you only need five wins to get a uh, to get a play downfield or a run a positive run. So the more guys you bring into the box, the more blockers you have, the lower chance you have of all of them succeeding. And all it takes versus in a run game is one guy failing to to meet his block. And it could be a negative play. So it'll be interesting. This is what I'm looking at for this Bengals offense. Because I think we have expectations in terms of bringing this Rams offense to Cincinnati and how these players will fit. But I think the wild card, and we've talked about it a bunch, is Tyler Eifert. Because if we count him as a receiver, is that still 12 personnel? Is that still two tight ends? Even though he's detached and split out wide or or moved around? Is he chewing into John Ross's snaps? Is he, you know, how does this affect... Their, their run game, or are they passing out of that, running out of it? To me, I think that is definitely what I'm looking for in this offense to see how is this different than the Rams. It's interesting because Sean McVay, I feel like, said recently in the last couple of months that they want to get out of being exclusively 11. And again, when we say 11, that means one running back, one tight end. That's what the numbers mean. If you hear 22, that means two running backs, two tight ends. If you hear 10, 21. that means... Yep, 21 is two running backs, one tight end. If you hear 10, that's one running back, zero tight end. So that combination of personnel delineations will tell you who's on the field based on the first number in the sequence being running back, second number being tight ends. Right. It's interesting to hear Sean McVay say that they want to go more multiple on offense at the same time when Zach Taylor comes to Cincinnati from a team that was almost exclusively three receivers and then spends a pick on a tight end when he's got Uzama and Eifert on the roster. And an right. early pick on a tight end. So what does that mean? What's the plan for that tight end? Because if you're a second-round pick, you're probably expected to play, what, at least 40% of your team snaps at a lot of positions? You would hope so, right? Yeah, at least, right? I was looking at um, guys like Will Disley and who was the other one? Nick Vanette and uh, Nick Boyle for the Rams, to see how, or of the Ravens, to see how much they played as rookies, and generally it's not 40%. They were fourth-round picks, though. So that's where was the the caveat, right? Because these guys are playing 220 snaps, which is on average about you know 20 to 25% of your total offense. Uh, but being fourth-round picks, I guess that would be you know similar to a guy this year, the, the Bengals, obviously, Michael Jordan, or Renal Ren playing that. So Drew Sample being a second-rounder, if he plays 40 45% of the snaps, it – becomes interesting. What is the goal there? And that's why I started this off is, is running the football, and I love the way you answered it, is 
they're almost putting up, yes, we're a running team. We're going to run the ball. It's going to feature Joe Mixon, which honestly, I think that's probably their best option anyways, especially if they can make it into December and January still being in this thing. Uh, then you're leaning on Mixon. And I, I like the idea of, of leaning on your run game, especially for the games Andy Dalton struggles. But to maximize how much points they put up, how you know yardage points, Winning games, offense in this league, it's a passing offense. And that's when I, I get concerned to wonder if they lean too heavy in being a, a run first team, or is this all just a way to get them to be a play action offense? I think it's got to be a way to get them to be a play action offense. That's what it was in LA, their play action right. team. And that's the way that you make this team excel. You take pressure off the offensive line, you take pressure off the quarterback, you open up windows in the middle of the field for those tight ends that they've got. You open up windows. And maybe Andy even, Dalton's good in the middle. He's he's good in the seams for sure. Yeah. Seams Tyler the tight Boyd ends. over the middle. Corners to AJ Green. Seams the tight ends. Tyler Boyd in the middle of the field. Maybe they figure out a way to use John Ross in the middle of the field. Maybe they start using those jet sweeps and misdirection. And even when Mike, we brought Mike Renner on and he talked about uh, – Ross being in the Brandon Cooks role, how he thinks that's perfect for him for the long drags and those long crossing routes. Yeah. And like, oh man, just have, let him run and, and outrace guys to the other side of the field. I'm like, yeah, that's actually, that sounds great. I'd love to see that. I've been saying that since they hired Zach Taylor too. It's like, that's what, that's the role for John Ross in the offense is he runs 30 yards diagonally. Right. And just outrace people. And there were times last year I was reminded of a play where, uh, they were asking Tyler Boyd to do that, and they're asking John Ross to do They're both in the slot. This is versus the Ravens. is a third down play in the second half of the game. And uh, both are in the slot to the left because they had a tight end split out wide. And uh, Boyd's running a, a, a drag. more of a little, It's a little deeper. It's about seven, eight yards. But it's a drag across the field. He's, he's in a foot race with, in man coverage versus Young, their, their nickel guy for the, for the Ravens, where uh, John Ross is running a, a more of a deeper end, about a 12-yard end. And he's he fakes that's top of his route before cutting in, and I just thought this is a mismatch. You this is you guys are you guys are wrong on who you're picking to run these routes. It should mm-hmm. be John Ross running that drag. Let him outrun that guy, yeah. and let and let Tyler Boyd use his route running and his physicality at the top of his route to separate. And that's and that's these are the things that we're hoping to see right from the from a new offense, a new design is. Every time we said, what are, we, what are you doing with this guy? Why are you taking Auden Tate out to put in Co- Cody Core to throw him the ball in fourth and one? Same game, right, if you remember that play. Whereas I think and I hope an offensive-minded coach sees this stuff and goes and attacks this stuff first and foremost. It'll be really interesting to see how the Bengals are different with an offensive-minded head coach. I think maybe we've undersold the difference that this might make. Marvin Lewis, for a very long time, didn't have great offensive personnel in the building, I would say. Right. They they have Bob Bratkowski for too long. Drake, Jay Gruden comes along and does pretty well. But how would you rate Jay Gruden if you had to give him a letter grade as an offensive coordinator in the NFL? I think he was a B because he got a rookie. Remember the focal points of that 2011 team on a shortened offseason. You got a rookie quarterback, second rounder, and a rookie receiver were the two you know, uh, that are leading the charge on that offense. And instantly that offense was workable, usable. They got to the playoffs. Yep. And it had to grow, and he abandoned the running game, and I don't think the running game was ever good enough with him. But uh, that was also – that fell on some of uh, Paul Alexander's shoulders, as I later found out. But And I think it's funny that uh, really the good offenses, and especially the second half, I'm thinking of Marvin Lewis's career, so like the, you know, the last eight years, was 
when they had a strong personality as an offensive coordinator, and it was Jay Gruden and Hugh Jackson, right? And those yeah. guys could really take over and say, oh, this is going to be our offense. This is what we're going to do. We're going to put the right guys in the right position to succeed. And when it was a lesser guy or a guy that was more of an unknown, uh, I don't feel like those things happened as fast. Maybe they just because they, they weren't as good as those two, right? <laughs> that could be it. But I'm maybe I'm reading too much into it and thinking strong personalities helped mold and shape those offense from an offensive mind and off- offensive vantage point. Who was who was the quarterbacks coach? I can't even remember his name. Right Ken now. Zampezi. Zampezi became the offensive coordinator. Yeah, and the, and then they kept Bill Lazor around after you know he's running the same stuff. It's just they they didn't. They had too many wasted years, I think, on the offensive coaching staff with Marvin yep. Lewis around and with Marvin Lewis not being able to do that for the offensive side of the ball. I think they suffered for it, and so I think that they that needed maybe, to have a good guy on that side, right? And, and now they have three. Or four right. quarterback coaches in the room, and if you look at A and M's rushing offense, as much as we've trash talked Jim Turner, it was good. Yeah, if I think if the Bengals have a successful, I, I was gonna, I was thinking about this the other day. If the Bengals are successful, if this offense is successful, the way we see teams are plucking from the Rams, right? And Bengals don't have to go to the Super Bowl to, to for this to happen, as we've seen in the past, right? Uh, I think we could lose Shanahan. I mean, you could lose guys like that. That on this, you could. I think Van Pelt still could be a coordinator somewhere, and and maybe even more. Maybe these guys end up being head coaches. But uh, I just I, thinking of their their pedigree and the offenses they've coached in, I definitely could see it uh, down the line where those guys are definite candidates or seen as up and comers throughout the league, and quickly could get plucked from the Cincinnati coaching staff. I I like the offensive guys they put around Zach Taylor. It's always been the defense where we both agreed, other than Jim Taylor or Turner on the offensive line. Um, it's the defensive side where we have the m- most questions on how they're going to fit together and formulate a defense. I literally have no idea of what any of the defensive coaches are at the NFL level. You have a defensive yeah. backs coach coordinating the defense, and who knows what he's going to do? Literally no idea. I know. I mean, I looked today at the Giants and their snap counts and stuff like that because I wanted to see how often they were using different personnel. And, I was, and I'm like, well, number one, they had a terrible team. Number two, they were injured like crazy among that defensive line. Number three, uh, Lou Anarumo was the defensive backs coach. He had no say in any of this. So. Yeah. I don't even know what to, you know, how to, it's funny because in, in the Hobson quote or Hobson piece, how we started the show, uh, he, he had one quote from Taylor that said, uh, you can't look at this and say, well, the previous regime kept four that running wasn't backs, a quote, so we're going to keep. That yeah. wasn't a quote? I thought it was in quotations. I'll double check. All right. But anyway, so he says you, you can't use what previously happened and apply it to us because it's all new. Uh that's true, and I, I I don't know what else to use though at this point because so many of the coaches they brought on and hired are uh, relative unknowns in these positions. Yeah, that's not a Taylor quote. That's a Jeff Hobson quote, but I think I'm it's true. Sorry. You can't say traditionally X because Taylor and his staff don't have a track record. So a lot of you have asked us, what can we expect from the defensive side of the ball? And like I said when we got that question, they've hired guys from all sorts of backgrounds and. The, the most common thread in those backgrounds is Dick LeBeau, but I don't think they're going to come out and try to run a Dick LeBeau defense in 2019. So really, we have no idea. I don't think a lot of teams, even with direct ties to Dick LeBeau, which is are the right now the Titans and the the Steelers, want to run a Dick LeBeau defense. I think it's, and I hate to say it might be a little dated at this point for those zone blitzes, uh, but I would like to have an identity on defense for sure because I, I feel they've lacked one since Mike Zimmer left. 
that's a certain area to watch. Maybe something that we can ask Cat Terrell about if there's yep. any inklings of what they're going to do, of what's getting installed, because the focus is so heavily on the offensive side of the ball because that's the coaching staff that they have. Yeah. I, we, we've hardly talked about the defense because we don't know what to expect. So that'll, some, that'll be something that we keep an eye on as the offseason proceeds. I like the focus on the offense because I think at the end of the day, while the defense... It needs to be phrase. better than Terrell yeah, Austin's defense. That's yeah. what I was going to say. The defense has to be better. And just by chance, it should be. If you look at rankings around the league, very rarely do you see the top 10 teams stay the same for defensive ranking year after year. It's a, it's a turnover thing. Uh, even when you feel really good about your defense or you feel really bad about your defense, you can quickly move up 10 to 15 spots or down. And uh, so the Bengals, just by rolling that same dice again, with the players, I think we all like a lot of the the, the players on the defense. If, it, if, if they roll that again and end up having a, a good unit or even a decent unit, this ranks 16th or so, this team should be much better. So the focus goes on the offense of saying, okay, can they maximize this offense? Because that's, that's the concern, that's the worry. Because if they do, then a lot of people right, lately are asking, and I... I I retweeted something from uh, Mike Clay and uh, yep. projections. Yeah, three and a half wins, and that wasn't that wasn't him guessing they're going to be three and a, three and a half wins this year. It was basically when we went through the schedule, Jake. We we found six games that we think the Bengals would be favored in. This yep. was three games the Bengals would be favored in. One tie, one push. So I, I don't think it was too far from where we were. I think we maybe as fans of the team and understanding of where they're. The, how much better they can be, even with the same roster, uh, lean towards a few of these teams of saying, okay, they can be, they can be favorites in there. They just they haven't been a three and a half win team for so long. It's hard to really lower your expectations that far because so many of the players are the same players. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's when people say, well, they should automatically be better. They got better here. They got better there. They got a better coaching staff. I would agree with all you know, all most of those points that people can make there. It just that doesn't always translate to wins, or especially in year one. Right, year one with a new coach, they they can be a better team in many ways and have less wins. We've seen some good teams all around the league not make the playoffs every year. And so like the Falcons last year, I think were probably, sure. they were much worse in their record than I think the quality of the team. They also had a ton of injuries, but right. Right. Just an and example. I mean, even again. the Bengals too. Right. You could say the Steelers to some extent, there are a lot of teams that were less than the sum of their parts last year. Right. And I think that could happen or they come out, slow and because of it they start off one in three and we saw that schedule it's very likely they start off that way and if you do uh changes could be made lineups could be shaken up and you may find your footing around week seven eight nine and if that's the case fine for a first year but if you if you can crawl your way to six or seven wins i think that is very fair now that doesn't have to happen this way and we did a we did a whole episode on this so i'm not going to go too deep but uh you know just just thinking in, in general that if i think if we see a good offense led by zach taylor that utilizes the players correctly i don't care how many wins they have because i think that would be a feeling of heading in the right direction that's step one and then right. step two we got to figure out the defense at some point and is right. louie anarumo the guy to do it well I kind of feel like he's not. Like, maybe is that part of the reason I don't talk about him either? Because I, there's I think, no reason to feel great about him, right? He's a defensive right. backs coach from a bad defense. He he used Landon Collins well. Great. So, cool. He did something that was right. pretty innovative and useful. and has Got the best out of Janoris Jenkins. League. Yeah. So, and, and, and B.W. Webb now, sure. now in Cincinnati. So, 
you know, some reasons to think he's a good defensive backs coach, and who knows what that means for calling a defense. I mean, Carol Austin's a guy that everyone thinks is going to go on to be a head coach in the NFL, and I think he's set back from that path now, and now he's a lower assistant for the Steelers. Yeah, he is. That's right. But, I mean, that was that was a thought on him when he came to Cincinnati, and then he flopped, and so you never know, I guess is the point we're trying to make. Some other programming notes going on around the Bengals' Twitterverse this week. Uh, Willie Anderson is making the rounds. Willie Anderson was on the Orange and Black Insider at Cincy Jungle and joined Brandon Thorne, who we had on last two weeks ago. And the the episode with Brandon Thorne and Willie Anderson is phenomenal. Yeah. So, some of the best stuff I've listened to. I don't listen to many podcasts. I listen to that one. These are the questions I'd love to ask him, but don't feel I'd, I like I'd, I'm glad Brandon Thorne gets this interview because he's such a good O-line guy that he can ask these questions and talk to Willie Anderson. You know, I'd I'd rather bring Willie on and say, it's what really happened, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to know what happened in those locker rooms. Right. And also maybe talk about Fatburger, I guess. I would love to talk about Fatburger. Maybe we can get him on here. We should try for that. We will, we, we will try. We'll try. we so got to try to, you know, all, all these players we're talking about, we got to get some of these guys on. What else happened in the Bengals' Twitterverse? You said the other things. Willie Anderson had those two. two oh, podcasts. those two. He was on Cincy I'll, Jungle as well. I was going to add that Paul Denner Jr. is leaving the Cincinnati Inquirer, going to Athletic to cover the Cincinnati Bengals. So he will be joining me and Jay Morrison. And if you don't have your subscription, you're going to miss out on a lot of Bengals content. Oh, man, if only the Athletic sponsored us. But now they have their own podcast. It's not going to be a thing. Here's the thing, guys. If you go listen to the new Paul Denner podcast, stay with us please. <laughs> I know. It's kind of weird for me. I'm like, do I promote the Athletic Cincinnati podcast? We Is do. That like we do. Contra- should I, am I contractually obligated to? And then while I also have a Bengals podcast, I think you can listen to two podcasts. Yeah, I think you can too. They're only once a week anyway. And right now they're talking about the Reds. That'll do it for this episode of Lockdown Bengals. Tomorrow we will be locked on Cincinnati with Jeff Carr, the host of Lockdown Reds. And then Tuesday, we have Kat Terrell from ESPN.com. We'll ask her about horse racing and probably also Bengal stuff because she's apparently, like, really into horse racing. Awesome. So it looks like you want to make a last note before I mention our sponsors. Yeah, so you want to definitely listen to Tomorrow's with the Reds because I don't know anything about current MLB baseball. So I'm going to try and make comments and ask questions as if I don't know anything because I don't. There you go. Although there is a Reds player that's from my hometown. Who's that? I'll Tomorrow I'll, I'll talk about it. Who's Something to look forward to. <laughs> it's so exciting. This episode was brought to you by Hotels.com, Untuck It, and Grip6 Belts. Go check all those out. Hotels.com, the URL is obvious. Get rewarded when you travel. Untuck It, you can get 20% off by using promo code MBA and Grip6 Belts. At grip6.com slash L O C K E. That's grip6.com slash lock for a special offer as well. We'll see you next time, Bengals fans. Until then, have a good one. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first round wild card exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? 
Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020, and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers, and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.